As you know, and uh, if you're here for the first time, uh, we're working our way through the book of 2 Kings. We're looking at chapters 22 and 23 today. Uh, We're right near the end of our series, uh, and it's been such a rich um, uh, kind of journey into God's Word. I hope you've enjoyed our time in 2 Kings. Let me pray, and then we'll look uh, at this chapter together. Let me pray. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are not some mute idol, uh, not something carved by wood by a human hand that cannot speak, uh, but we thank you that you are the God of all the universe and that you are the speaking God. And we know we've heard your word already this morning and we pray as we hear it more in this particular chapter in your Bible that you help us to listen and to live in light of that word. Please help us in this, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, today we meet the greatest of all the kings of Israel. And uh, when you remember our whole series in 1 and 2 Kings, we've met quite a few kings. There's something like uh, 40 kings, if, if you combine the North Kingdom and the South Kingdom. There's about 40 kings that we've met so far. And this one who we meet today is the greatest of them. E- even greater than King David. You know how King David's a bit of a benchmark? Greater than King David is the one we meet today, which might surprise you. And what's really nice about today's passage is how positive an example this king is. Uh, Most weeks, uh, I or Phil have stood up here and and have said that this week, the king is hopeless. Uh, This is one of those what not to do sermons. Don't be like this guy has been part of our application week after week, which has been a bit depressing. Uh, But today, there's much that we can learn from the greatest of all the kings of Israel. Uh, This is one of those be like this sermons, uh, things we can learn And what makes this king even greater is that his greatness is rather simple. Uh, The thing that makes him the greatest of all the kings of Israel has nothing to do with his great power, has nothing to do with his great might or great intellect or military strategy or, or the way he led the kingdom. No, no, as we'll see, what makes him great is simple. And it's something that each and every one of us can do as well. So let's get into the passage. And just to remind you of where we're up to, because uh, it's been a couple of weeks since we've been in Two Kings. We took a break uh, last week. Uh, but remember that northern kingdom of Israel is no more. Uh, they were gone. So if you, ha- if you have a look up on the screen, it's a bit small, but hopefully you can see. So you can see there on the right-hand side of that image on the screen, the empire of Assyria uh, came along and destroyed that northern kingdom of Israel in 722 BC. So on the right-hand side, if you look right at the bottom, there's Hoshea. He's the last of the kings of the north because they're no more. And so now we're left with the southern kingdom of Judah on the left-hand side of that image. And uh, two weeks ago, we met Hezekiah. He's, uh, he's there kind of near the bottom. And uh, Hezekiah was one of the good kings, albeit a bit of a foolish king. If you remember what he did, he showed off, uh, showed off all the treasures of Judah to the Babylonian officials. Uh, if you remember what he did two weeks ago. But after Hezekiah, if you look again at that image, we've got two more kings before we get to today's passage. And sadly, we had to skip chapter 21 for the sake of time. But even more sadly, on that list, there's Manasseh. And Manasseh, who's the next king after Hezekiah, he's one of the most evil. He's, he's a horror. And just let me show you briefly what he's like, because it'll help us understand our passage. But flick your Bibles back to chapter 21 for a moment. Make sure you look at your Bible, otherwise you're flying blind. Chapter 21, look at verse 3, because what was King Manasseh like? Chapter 21, verse 3, he rebuilt the high places that his father Hezekiah had destroyed and reestablished the altars for Baal. And then go down to verse 9, chapter 21, verse 9. 
What did Manasseh do? He caused them, Israel, to stray so that they did greater evil than the nations the Lord had destroyed before the Israelites. And then look at verse 16. Go down to verse 16. Manasseh also shed so much innocent blood that he filled Jerusalem with it from one end to another. And this was in addition to his sin that he caused Judah to commit. Consequently, they, Judah, did what was evil in the Lord's sight. And so when you think of Manasseh, to put it simply, he was a real piece of work. No good. And then it doesn't get any better with his son either, who's the next king in line. If you look again on that screen, we've got King Amon who's next. And we read of him, if you look at verse 20 of chapter 21, what's he like? Verse Amon, verse 20 of chapter 21, he did what was evil in the Lord's sight, as his father Manasseh had done. And then that guy, King Amon, after just reigning for two years, verse 23, Amon's servants conspired against the king and they killed him in his own house. And so as we get to the beginning of our section for today, things, they're not going so well. Uh, Emily and I have been watching The Crown, the last season of The Crown. I don't know if if that's your thing or not. Emily loves that sort of stuff. I've kind of got into it. But uh, if you've watched The Crown, they love to dramatize the indiscretions of the English monarchy. They love to make a big deal of it. But to be honest, that's child's play compared to what happens here in the book of Two Kings. This is a mess. This is chaos. This is evil kings. This is assassination. This is better than The Crown if you want to make a movie out of it in a series. And now, because Amon, the last of the kings, was just 24 years old when he was killed, just 24, the next king in line, his son, is just a child when he becomes king. So this is where we meet Josiah, the greatest of all kings. And this is point one now on your outline. So look with me now from chapter 22. Chapter 22, verse 1. Look from there, verse 1. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. Now look at verse 2. And Josiah did what was right in the Lord's sight, and he walked in all the ways of his ancestor David. He did not turn to the right or the left. And again, if you've been with us for the whole series, this is such a relief when you read it. You know when you, you, you kind of turn to the morning news and you see what the news is for the day, and it's something good for a change. It's something positive for a change. Well, that's like this here. Every chapter we've read, it's almost been there's been no good king, but now we begin a chapter, and it's good. It's positive. And this king, he's exceptional, because not only did he do what was right in the Lord's sight, and there's only been six kings that have done what is right in the Lord's sight. Forty kings... Only six of them, what is right in the Lord's sight. But not only did he do that, he also walked in the ways of his ancestor David, which was only said of Hezekiah. And then we also read that he did not turn to the right or to the left. And that little line, it's an important little line, because straight after God had given Israel the Ten Commandments, God had said this, it's up on the screen, he'd said this, He said, be careful to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You are not to turn aside to the right or the left. And what was Josiah like? He did not turn to the right or the left. Not even even the great King David had that said about him. And so as chapter 22 kicks off, we have high hopes for this new King Josiah. Uh, you know how uh, Phil always jokes about names in the Bible and he says, why, why don't more people call their kids you know, Jehoshaphat 
or uh, Jehoshabah, because they're such lovely models of faithfulness. Sometimes when Phil says those things, I kind of laugh in my head, thinking, if I call my kid Jehoshaphat, imagine writing that on every form. and writing, Imagine having to spell that out when someone says, how do you spell that, J-E what? So, but Josiah, Josiah is a name that's amongst us quite a lot, amongst Christian people, isn't it? And rightly so. See, Josiah is exceptional, and we're about to find out why. And it starts with the temple repair. And the fact that the temple of God needed a repair, it tells you a lot about those last two kings. You see, if, if you wanted to show how important God's, God was to you in, in Old Testament Israel, then you made sure that the temple building, he, his dwelling that he dwelt in symbolically, you made sure that temple building was in good order. Uh, you made sure that it was clean and it was well kept and it was rightly respected. But by the time Josiah is made king, that, that temple is in all sorts of disrepair. It, it just shows what the last two kings were like. They didn't care less. But Josiah was different. He did what was right in the Lord's sight. And so what did he do? He, he went and he collected money for the repair job of the temple. And if you have a look at verse 5 and 6, he, he gave that money to workers and to the carpenters and builders and masons to buy timber and quarried stone to fix the temple. And this, this begins to show us why Josiah was the greatest of all kings. You see, Josiah had the power to use that money for himself. So Josiah had the power to further his own dwelling, to make his own building far nicer, to, to make his own riches greater. See, that's what the last two kings would have done. They, they would have just made things better for themselves. And, and no one would have complained because that's what they were used to. They were used to greedy kings, selfish kings. But Josiah didn't do that. He went to work in repairing the temple of the Lord. But it's what we read next that makes Josiah truly great. And this is point two now on your outline. The finding of the book of the law. So you read with me from verse 8. Look from verse 8. And by this time, uh, the temple repairs, they've begun... And as they were repairing the temple, look at verse 8. Hilkiah, the high priest, told Shaphan, the court secretary, I have found the book of the law in the Lord's temple. And he gave the book to Shaphan, who read it. And then go down to verse 10. Look at verse 10. This is the key bit. Then Shaphan, the court secretary, told the king, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. And Shaphan read it in the presence of the king. And again, this, this tells you so much about those last two kings. The fact that the book of the law, which should have been at the center of their lives as Old Testament Jews, the fact that the book of the law had to be found meant that those last two kings couldn't care less about God's law. But look at what Josiah does next. Look at verse 11. Look at verse 11. When the king heard the words of the book, that is the words of God, the words of the book of the law, what did he do? He tore his clothes. And why did Josiah do that? Because at that point, he realized how much he and the rest of Israel were living contrary to the word of God. You see, Josiah is 26 years old at this stage. And for the last 18 years of his life, since he's been king, he's been living without the book of the law. And he's been living uh, most likely in ignorance of the knowledge of what it means to live God's way. And so he's been living without any idea that he's been failing. That he hasn't been living God's way. But what happens the moment that Josiah hears the word of God? He, he, he tears his clothes. He mourns for his and Israel's sin. 
He's confronted by his and their disobedience because he's read the, the, the word of God and realized they've been going the wrong way. And all that Josiah does next makes him the greatest of all kings. All that he does comes from this confrontation with the word of God. All that he goes on to do next that we'll read and just makes him that the most radical and greatest of all the kings of Israel is only because he hears and responds to the word of God. And at this point, I want to pause and ask, how do we go about responding when we hear the word of God? I just want you to think about that for a moment. Or just to put it in the context of Josiah, how do we respond when we hear the word of God and we're confronted by that word of God? When, when we realize as we hear this word of God that actually we've been living contrary to the word of God. Do you remember Hebrews chapter 4 from early in the year? Do you remember what it said? It's up on the screen. It said this. It said, For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the ideas and thoughts of the heart. Do you remember that verse? Because the word of God is living and active, as we read it, it will judge us. Every time you, you sit down to read God's word or hear God's word, it will judge you. At times it will say, yes, yes, you know, keep going. You're, you're living faithfully. You're living God's way. Keep on going. But at other times, like Josiah at this point, God's word will declare to us, no, stop. Repent. What you're doing is not good. You see, what do you do in those moments of confrontation? We need to be like Josiah. We need to, you know, to tear off our clothes. And not, not literally, please, please don't do that now. <laughs> Spare each other's eyes. No clothes ripping. That will get me in all sorts of trouble. But we do need to be like Josiah. We need to respond like him. We need to metaphorically rip off our clothes when God's word confronts us. Sometimes when God's word confronts you, you should shed a tear. It should make you emotional to know that actually I haven't been living the way that, that God has made me to live. See, we need to be like Josiah. Most of the kings in Israel, whenever they heard the, God, the word of God, what did they do, those other kings? They, they simply brushed it off. It's not that they didn't hear the word. They heard. It's not that they didn't understand. They understood. They just didn't care. They brushed it off. And so you know those moments when you hear the word of God and your conscience is pricked? Those moments on Sunday like this when we're hearing God's word or those moments through the week where you're reading your Bible or those moments at a gospel team when someone else is sharing how God's word has, has impacted them. You know those moments when you're confronted by the word and your conscience is struck and, and, and you're rebuked by that word of God just like Josiah is here. You know those moments? What do you do when that happens? Do, do you simply you know, brush it off? Do you, do you simply move on and go, oh, that's a bit sad, but, you know. Or like Josiah, do we mourn our sin? Do we repent? Do we, do we tear off our clothes at the thought of our disobedience? Uh, I'm by no means suggesting we go back to the uh, Anglican prayer book, but the old Anglican prayer book was really helpful on this point. Uh, this is some of the things that the old prayer book uh, would say about sin. It's up on the screen. It would say this, and it's a prayer, and it say, Almighty and most merciful Father, we have followed too much to the devices and desires of our own hearts. 
We have left undone those things which we ought not to have done. And we have done those things which we uh, ought to have done. And there is no health in us. O Lord, have mercy on us, miserable offenders. Or in another place, it says this. It says, Almighty God, we acknowledge and bewail our manifold sins and wickedness. We do earnestly repent and are heartily sorry for these our misdoings. The remembrance of them, our sin, is grievous unto us. The burden of our sin of them is intolerable. Have mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, most merciful Father. I mean, do we feel like that when we're confronted by our sin? That's how Josiah felt when he was confronted by his sin. And we should feel the same. And praise God that that burden of sin, which we cannot bear, has been borne by Jesus on the cross. We truly would stand no chance before a holy and righteous God without Jesus. And that's a part of what Josiah realizes next. And this is the next point that he inquires of the Lord. So look in verse 13 now. So verse 13, Josiah, he, he gathers his officials together and he says to them, have a look at verse 13. He says, go and inquire of the Lord for me, the people and all Judah about the instruction in this book that has been found. For great is the Lord's wrath that is kindled against us because our ancestors have not obeyed the words of this book in order to do everything written about us. And if you go back uh, to read Deuteronomy 29 and uh, chapter 31 as well, God makes it really clear. If you continually abandon my way and abandon my covenant, if you begin to worship other gods and bow down to them, you will suffer my right anger. You will suffer my wrath. And so Josiah, he knows they've been living the wrong way. He knows they're under under wrath. So he he inquires of the Lord. And if you have a look at verse 14, he goes, uh, he sends them to go and see the prophetess uh, Huldah. And she says to Josiah, look at verse 16. She says to Josiah, verse 16, this is what the Lord says. I'm about to bring disaster on this place and on its inhabitants, fulfilling all the words of the book that the king of Josiah has read. Because they have abandoned me and burned incense to other gods in order to provoke me with all the work of their hands. My wrath will be kindled against this place and it will not be quenched. And as we read that, that is the beginning of the end for the southern kingdom of Judah. And again, we had to skip uh, chapter 21 for the sake of time. But in 21, God made it very clear because of that sin of Manasseh, because of their wicked behavior... He and Israel were under wrath, and nothing could change that. But it's not all bad news, because look at what Hilda then declares to Josiah. Have a look at verse 19. Verse 19, Because your Josiah's heart was tender, and you humbled yourself before the Lord, verse 20, Therefore I will indeed gather you to your fathers, and you'll be gathered to your grave in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster that I'm bringing on this place. And so what's being said there is that, yes, judgment is coming for Judah, and there's nothing that Josiah can do about that. Nothing can stop that. God has promised it. But Josiah himself will be blessed. And why? Because he humbled himself. Because he he tore his clothes and repented at the word of God. But here's the bit I want us to notice. You see, at this point, Josiah could have said, Great! Fantastic! There will be peace and security in my time. Remember Hezekiah said that? 
Hezekiah got rebuked, and then he just thought, oh, good, it's not, there won't be disaster in my time, it'll be in the future, so, so that's okay, I'll, I'll be okay. So Josiah could have thought to himself, well, great, I know I'll be fine, so why don't I not just enjoy life and take it easy? Why, why don't I just you know, sit back and relax and enjoy the perks of being king? But Josiah doesn't do any of that. And this is where we get to chapter 20, uh, 23 and our next point. Josiah brings radical reform. And uh, you'll need to read chapter 23 later for yourself. We don't have the time to look at it. But Josiah in that chapter is truly radical. He's a radical reformer. Uh, and let me just throw some Bible verses at you from that chapter. Just uh, make sure you're looking at your Bible. And just, just look at how that, uh, that all that Josiah does uh, to turn Israel back to God. Look what he does. Look at verse 4 of chapter 23. Verse 4 he removes out of the Lord's temple all the articles made for Baal and Asherah and burns them outside Jerusalem. Then verse 5, look at verse 5. He does away with the idolatrous priests. Then look at verse 7. He tore down the house of the male cult prostitutes. Then look at verse 8. He goes beyond Jerusalem city and he goes into wider Judah and defiled the high places from Geba to Bathsheba. And then look at, uh, look at verse 13 because verse 13 is incredible. Again, if you've been with us for all of 1 and 2 Kings, this is incredible. Verse 13, he defiled the high places that were across from Jerusalem to the south of the Mount of Destruction, which King Solomon of Israel had built. So just realize what that's saying. That particular high place had been there for 400 years since King Solomon. So for, for all the good kings that have been so far, not one of them had dealt with that high place. But Josiah did. And the last verse I'll point out, look at verse 15. Verse 15, Josiah even tore down the altar at Bethel and the high place that Jeroboam, son of Nebat, who caused Israel to sin, had made. And if you remember, Bethel is in the northern kingdom. It was, it was where that idolatry for all of the north began. And Josiah even goes to that great length of removing the idols in the north. And they're, they're, they're just some of the verses in all of chapter 23. But here's the point. Why, why does Josiah do that? Why does he care? Why is he so radical, even to go to the north? They're not even there anymore, the people. Why is he so radical instead of just seeing his days out comfortably as king? He knows Judah is doomed. God had said that Judah will be judged no matter what. Josiah can't stop it, so why the effort? Because it's the right thing to do. Because it's the godly thing to do. It's what God had saved Israel to be. They were saved to be a holy nation to him. You know that really common question that people ask? You know, they say, oh, if God saves us purely by what Jesus has done and, and there's nothing that I can do to earn my salvation because Jesus has done it all for me, then why bother living a life of good works? Why bother living a life of obedience to God's word? Because Jesus saved me anyway. It's all been done. Why bother? So the answer is really simple for the person who loves Jesus. Because it's the right thing to do. Because it's the godly thing to do. We are saved to live lives of holiness to our God. That's what we're saved for. You see, Josiah was an exceptional king because he listened to his God and he loved his God and he obeyed his God. Just look at what it says. and We'll finish chapter 23 with this. Look at what it says of him in verse 25. Look at verse 25 of chapter 23. Before him, that is before Josiah, 
There was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his mind and with all his heart and with all his strength, according to all the law of Moses, and no one like him arose after him. You see, Josiah was the greatest of all the kings of Israel. But let me finish briefly uh, by thinking about our Reformation. Uh, Hopefully you've been a little bit uncomfortable every time I've said that Josiah is the greatest of all the kings of Israel. And I don't want to take anything away from him because he is exceptional. But when you get to the end of chapter 23, Josiah, he dies. And when you get to the beginning of chapter 24, guess what happens at the beginning of chapter 24? Josiah's son, the very next king, what's he like? He did what was evil in the Lord's sight. And in the next three kings after him, all of them, Evil in the Lord's sight. And so Josiah, this radical reformer that that changes everything, all that he does, he's not radical enough for that radicalism to outlive him. No, there was always someone more radical that had to come. See, someone who would bring lasting reform, someone who would bring spiritual reform. And I hope you know this, but that's what makes Jesus the greatest, not of just the kings of Israel, but Jesus, the greatest of all kings of all time. Because that reform that Jesus brings with the forgiveness of our sins, with the giving of his spirit, with the promise of a new heart that then will seek to live for God, that is true and everlasting reform. You see, if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, then you have been radically reformed. You're a radical if you're a Christian. That's what you are. The day you heard the word about Jesus, the the day you were confronted with your sin like Josiah and, and you tore off your clothes and you humbled yourself before God and you asked God for his forgiveness through Jesus, his son, on that day you became a radical. You were radically reformed and you were transformed to live a life of righteousness. You, you were transformed to live a life of what is right what God says is right, to live a life of, of godliness, of not turning to the right or to the left, but sticking on the way of God. Like I said at the beginning, what's really nice about today's passage is that this is one of those be like this sermons. Be like Josiah. And it's much simpler than you think to be like him. Because what made Josiah so great and so radical was not his power and not his might, not his intellect, It's that he listened to God's word and he lived out God's word. And we need to do the same. See, Jesus says to his disciples just before he leaves them in John chapter 15, Jesus says to them and to us, remain in me, remain in my word, keep my commands. So are we listening to Jesus? Are we living with him as Lord, keeping his commands? To be truly great is to submit yourself to the word and the lordship of Jesus. Be like Jesus. That's the point. Let me pray. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the witness and example of godliness that we see in Josiah. But we thank you even more for what Jesus has done for us. That he's brought true radical reformation, spiritual reformation, so that we have been saved to live for you. And we pray, Father, that we would be people of your word, that we would submit ourselves to that word, that we will be humble and repentant towards that word, and that we'd be obedient to that word, to your glory. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.